Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Green. You can kill 99% of COVID in your HVAC system with Green. Check it out. Well, we have an interesting show for you today. We're going to talk about real estate in the Biden administration. Uh, look, the, the Dems just got control of the uh, Senate. Um, and a lot of people are kind of positive and some people are sort of negative. So I'm going to my go-to for what was really going to happen, what's real impact on commercial real estate, Mitch Rochelle. And Mitch is founding partner with Macro Trends Advisors. Mitch, uh, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Michael, thanks for, as always, for having me. Yeah. And, and Mitch, as you look at the economy and, and real estate, to kind of get us started, um, what are you hearing from kind of business leaders and, and real estate uh, folks out there as far as, you know, is, uh, is half the camp kind of excited and half the camp not? What, what's the feel you're, you're seeing? I'm, I'm generally a half full guy and I like to surround myself with half full guys. So I'm going to say it's half full. What's interesting is if you look at public equity markets, said another way, the stock market, and if you look at the way the stock market has behaved, and we could dive into why, but if you look at how the stock market has behaved, it's certainly optimistic, right? And, and the stock market itself is a forward-looking vehicle. It looks to forward earnings. So it's looking to, you know, in, in late post-election 2020, it was looking to 2021. The way that investors in the stock market are behaving is really a proxy for the way people who run businesses are behaving, which is, I think they're very optimistic. Uh, they did everything they could to pivot and redirect and survive. And it, there's, a, there's a continuum of survival that they went through, we all went through in 2020. But as we look forward to 2021, I think by and large, it's net optimistic. And there's always going to be pessimists. <laughs> you're, you're always going to talk to somebody online at Starbucks, and they're going to be saying the sky is falling. But I think by and large, business leaders are optimistic. They may be cautiously optimistic, but I think they're by and large optimistic, which means that they'll be investing, right? Because the, the manifestation of optimism is investment. Right. Well, at least the results are there, so we can start making some plans, right? And one of the things that that uh, might be positive for a lot of folks um, are more stimulus. What do we expect out of the Biden plan for more stimulus and and, and the impact on Siri? So let's take stimulus uh, from a couple of different angles, and let's look at the the most recently passed piece of legislation. That had enhanced unemployment benefits for, which is highly targeted at those who need it the most. There was direct payments to uh, taxpayers. Uh, the reason why I call it taxpayers is because it was based upon your taxable income, right? So it's direct payment to taxpayer, smaller than what was in the CARES Act, but direct payments nonetheless. Uh, excuse me, a highly political item. We could talk about. Uh, the, the the next round of stimulus around that. and the, But most importantly, it was help for small business, and it was uh, the Paycheck Protection Program 2.0. Again, highly targeted. Uh, that kind of stimulus on the fiscal side, we could talk about monetary as well, but on the fiscal side, um, was somewhat baked into expectations. That was a can, that was a piece of legislation that I think uh, had, had passed in some way, shape, or form 
uh, in the House. The Senate had its version. And but the the I got blown up on social media for calling it a skinny bill because what everybody forgets is when President Trump signed that piece of legislation for the nine hundred billion with a B dollars of stimulus, attached to it was the omnibus spending bill for I think one point four trillion dollars. And all of the things that were politically charged, like aid to all these foreign countries, were part of the omnibus spending bill. So when I said on the air, I think I was on Newsmax, I said that uh, it was a good bill, but it was a skinny bill. I got eviscerated in social media for calling it skinny when there was all this aid. to. But that was not the stimulus bill. It was the omnibus spending bill. But I think that um, that certainly is going to be helpful. Um, two-thirds of that are payments to people. Uh, and even the Paycheck Protection Program, which is help for businesses, only works if those businesses retain their employees. So it's all targeted trying to get money to individuals. Um, what's interesting about all that is the net result of all of the stimulus has been a doubling of the savings rate in this country. I heard D Bob Dahl um, from Nuveen uh, recently say, that there's $1.4 trillion worth of excess saving capacity in the economy. So the benefit of all of that stimulus is going to be seen in 2021 um, when we finally unlock the supply side of the economy and let people go out. Uh, you're, I'm in New York, you're in Georgia, but you can't do dinner in a movie in New York. And, and how how many dinners in a movie add up to being a part of consumption in our economy, right? So um, I think the real key stimulus society, we can talk about stimulus all day long, is that all that does is put more uh, arrows in the quiver for the demand side of the economy, and in fact, creates more frustration in the demand side of the economy. The trick is finding a way to open the supply side of the economy. Yeah, and part of that is, is the vaccine. And Trump had uh, instituted warp speed, which seemed to really get this vac these vaccines out quicker. But now that here, there's some talk that it's kind of slow to, to get it out there. Uh, does a Biden administration, is that helpful or is that kind of already in the flow? Because that would certainly help real estate, right? I think it's vital. Uh, I, I can't put a big enough exclamation point behind how important it is for real estate to get us in the post-vaccine world. I do think that there's going to be a lot of mixed messages around what percentage of America needs to be um, vaccinated, what percentage of the America needs to be positive tested at some point, uh, and by definition, having some form of immunity. How long does that immunity last? If you had gotten uh, COVID in March, and it's now March of 2021, and it's been a year ago, are you still uh, immune? Do you need a boost? I think there's going to be all of that noise. And that noise is going to inhibit businesses from having the uh, confidence to reopen. Okay. Because in, in the face of uncertainty, if you're a business leader, what do you do? You make the, the, the cautious decision, and that's to withhold opening up. The, the, my only hope is that the messaging from the Biden administration and the messaging from whoever has the podium to speak, whether it be at a press conference or on Sunday morning cable and broadcast news programs, 
they have a clear message and it's the same message every time. And one of the things that I think a lot of people found frustrating um, over the past year was the messages were often different. And, and I get the imperfect nature of science, but I think it's really important at this stage when people are trying to make those critical decisions about reopening that we have a clear path. Um, but here's the good news on vaccines. And again, I'm, 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 I'm not an economist. I play one on TV. I'm certainly not. I'm certainly not an epidemiologist. But you know, what percentage of the people have to get vaccinated? It seems to be the big question, country by country. The good news is there's more and more and more vaccine, new vaccines coming up in the pipeline. Number one and number two, there's ramping up of production of the existing vaccine. Right. So um, my my in-laws have gotten it. Um, my uh, wife's aunt and uncle, who just recently tested positive for COVID out in um, Ohio, they were able to get one of the antigens, uh, one of the IV antigens, similar to the things that I think the president uh, had taken. Um, so there are tools out there, right? And my in-laws are in Florida. Um, what's happening, unfortunately, and forgive the long answer, is the linkage between federal and state and local government is where the breakdown seemed to be. Um, and I think there are some states that seem to be doing a reasonably good job, and there are some states that are struggling with it. Um, the thing that also frightens me a little bit is the bad publicity that vaccines in general are getting, and so many people are unwilling to get vaccines. Yeah. That, that frightens me, because if, if people are holding, I don't know what they're holding out for, um, and if, they're, if people are unwilling to get the vaccine, we'll never get to whatever the percentage is that uh, the CDC or the National Institute for Health or whomever is making a threshold. Yeah, and those are all the reasons I'm definitely going to take the a vaccine and recommend it to, to my friends. Look, I had COVID, it was very mild symptoms for me, uh, but um, you know, I want people to meet me in person and uh, do business with me and get business rolling. So for that reason, I'm certainly going to take it. We're talking with Mitch Rochelle, founding partner with Macro Trends Advisors, about real estate and the Biden administration. And Mitch, one of the things that uh, Trump had done was really get rid of a lot of red tape so business can happen faster. Uh, what happens in the Biden administration there? In, Michael, the, the knee-jerk reaction is that Democrats like bureaucracy and Republicans don't, right? That's just, you know, if you were to put uh, uh, something on the blackboard and you were using stereotypical um, views of Republicans and Democrats, that, that would be the view. The thing that's interesting is for four years, the Trump administration fought hard to eliminate as much red tape in America as possible. And I think that that was a campaign promise that President Trump had made or candidate Trump had made, and he lived up to it as best he could as the president. The reason is he was a private sector guy, and a private sector guy hates bureaucracy, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's it just makes sense. So he saw that as a, as a big impediment to um, economic growth. And I think the best example of, and I'm, I'm going someplace with this answer, but mm -hmm. the best example of that is what we just talked about, which is Operation Warp Speed, which is not only did the Trump administration 
try to eliminate bureaucracy and red tape, but they also, whenever they needed to, to help the American people, partnered with the private sector. And Operation Warp Speed is the most recent example of that. And I wrote an opinion piece for um, the Daily Wire, which um, will probably publish uh, next week. But what's interesting is, as I was writing it, I was watching cable news. You can guess which channel it probably was. And I saw the trucks, FedEx and UPS trucks, pulling out of a distribution facility at the time in the state of Michigan with um, vaccine on it. And those were private sector trucks. And so as it relates to something like Operation Warp Speed, I think that um, the Biden administration is going to take that playbook and continue to use the collaboration between the public sector and the private sector. And hopefully that becomes a blueprint for other things that um, the administration, the Biden administration will try to accomplish to realize the virtue of private sector, public sector collaboration. We've talked for years on your show, you and I, about public-private partnerships, right? And how they are a solution to housing affordability challenges or whatever. Um, but right now you're seeing the ultimate example of a public-private partnership. And uh, that's, that's what I think we continue to need to do. More broadly on the topic of red tape, I think the thing, in, in, and I'll say quickly that the Trump administration did was not so much rolling back regulations per se. They, they did that where they could, and he did it by executive order, and he did it congressionally as, to the extent he could. But moreover, they curtailed the production of new regulations. And there was a mandate that if you created a new regulation, you had to eliminate two. So what that did was it slowed down the, the, the reproduction rate, if you will, of new regulations. The question, which I don't have a good answer to, is will the Biden administration have a different view of that? Mm -hmm. And what I hope is the economic advisors to uh, President-elect Biden, at, and as he's in office, will help him understand that now isn't the time for incremental regulation. Yeah, well, I hope so. Well, look, we're going to take a short break. We'll, we'll be right back. And we're going to ask Mitch about the Build Back Better plan, sustainability and, and infrastructure, and then some of the increased tax rates and the possible impact on jobs and then commercial real estate. So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Would you like a more inviting and safe environment for your property? Check out the ION technology for your heat and air system from Core Green Technologies. It's effective, safe, and won't break the budget. Visit core.green to learn more. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. 
This segment is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Where they were talking about real estate in the Biden administration. Look, the Senate's been decided. What's it mean for commercial real estate moving forward? We have Mitch Rochelle with us. He's founding partner with Macro Trends Advisors. And Mitch, uh, one of the things that in Biden's plan, as I've seen it, uh, is sustainability, that he wants buildings to be to go green, the Build Back Better plan. Uh, what do you think the impact there is on jobs in commercial real estate? Well, r- right now, we have buildings that are vacant. Um, they're vacant. It doesn't mean the tenants aren't paying rent, but they're vacant. Office buildings don't have people in them. Um, and there's a downstream impact when you, even though uh, a 10-story office building has one floor that had been vacant, but nine floors are paying rent, the problem is if no one's in that building, you don't have all of the neighboring businesses getting the benefit of the foot traffic or the car traffic uh, because that office building has occupants in it. And um, if we want to get people back to work, obviously it's going to be the vaccine, right? And we talked about that in the last segment. But if we want investment in those buildings to get um, activity back going, to get that space, uh, the vacant space leased, um, to deal with the retail that's been shuttered at the ground floor of the building because there's no foot traffic. So the re- whoever the retailer was, whether it be a, you know, a coffee shop, a magazine stand, a dry cleaner, they're all struggling because they don't have the foot traffic. Um, throwing more regulations on them is certainly not the solution, right? It, it, it's just gonna impede capital. Um, I hope that um, a reasonable lobbying effort could be put forth to help the administration understand the challenges that the real estate industry faces and, and, and a balancing can get done between the people who worry about environmental um, issues and those who worry about the economic ones. And uh, I think that there's a lot of downstream challenges around you know, health related to economic issues. Um, you know, there's growing drug and alcohol uh, abuse across this country. There's an increased level of suicide. The mental health is, is in tatters. And I think that that's as important as environmental issues. And I just hope that um, the lobbying efforts uh, are able to get to the administration and you don't impose new regulations. You know, think about it. You're trying to lease a vacant floor by the old rules, which is, you know, whatever the landlord and the tenant agree upon. But now we layer on top of that some regulation that the, the, the space needs to be configured a certain way. That's just going to make it impossible. Right. And uh, so I'm not I'm not throwing um, the environment under the bus for the sake of dollars and cents, but I'm advocating for, as I have with opening the economy in the face of a global pandemic, is you have to strike the right balance. You can't just run to one side and say, this is the way it has to be. You have to figure out how to balance it. And I say the same thing about environmental uh, considerations. Um, and so we'll see. Okay. Well, one of the plans uh, in Biden's tax plan is to raise uh, corporate taxes from 21 to 28 percent and, and raise income taxes, especially on Americans uh, earning over 400,000. You think that gets done? And what's the impact on jobs and commercial real estate? 
So let's take the two years of legislative session um, in 21 and 22 before the midterm elections in November of 22, right? That's how quick this happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's there's going to be maybe an opportunity for two or three big pieces of legislation. My suspicion is the first piece of legislation is another round of stimulus, mm-hmm. okay? Then here are the three agenda items, infrastructure in no particular order, healthcare, and tax reform. Um, could you mash two of them together? Uh, perhaps, but I think legislatively you have challenges when you put too much stuff in the, in the, in the soup. So if we spend time on stimulus and that gets done, and I think there'll be political reasons to get another round of stimulus done quickly, um, then my guess is, and this is my guess, infrastructure comes first. And the reason for that is Infrastructure is largely viewed as being bipartisan, number one. And number two, infrastructure, by definition, is stimulative to the economy. And if you go back to the post-financial crisis, Obama-Biden administration, they did an infrastructure deal as part of their stimulus. So I think you're going to see infrastructure. That puts us potentially pretty deep into the, the first year of legislative session. What's more important, healthcare or tax reform in the wake of a global pandemic? Mm-hmm. I got to think that healthcare becomes um, a bigger issue. So that pushes a tax bill easily into calendar 2022, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, again, and I'm using the first pronoun, first person pronoun I only because this is my view, it's nobody else's. But even President Obama said when he had campaigned around some tax law changes and tax reform, that when you're trying to get the economy to recover, the last thing in the world you want to do is a tax bill, right? Now, I think with the spending we're doing, there's going to be obvious screaming from both sides of the aisle, how are we going to pay for all this? And one way to pay for it is to, is, is a tax bill. So. Um, there may be tax elements baked into some of the infrastructure and um, stimulus deals, but I don't see the um, raising of the, the income tax rates on high earners, those over 400000 raising the corporate income tax rate, uh, raising the capital gains rate to ordinary, uh, make it ordinary income rate. I don't see some of those things sort of politically getting done. And the one thing that's not in Biden's plan, and I think if you're going to talk about tax reform, you got to put it on the table, is the state and local deduction, right? You know, one of the big politically sensitive issues in the stimulus negotiations this summer was aid for state and local governments who are struggling um, because they're not, they're, they're, there's not enough commerce. There's not enough people paying property taxes. Not enough, you know, they're, they're just struggling. Plus, they're spending to keep their cities alive. Well, the state and local deduction is important to that potentially because that could uh, you return the state and local deduction, you may uh, reverse some of the flight from California, New York, you know, uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey to Texas, our. Um, um, Nevada, Florida, 
So I think that that's going to be part of the negotiation. Um, and that's not per se in the plans that Biden has. So the, the reason why I'm giving such a long, complicated answer is because it's a complicated round of negotiation. And because of its complexity, I think it gets pushed down the, the agenda. Doesn't mean it won't happen in the first two years uh, before the midterms, but I think it, um, it, it happens. And the closer that bill, whatever it is, is to the midterms, the more the midterm elections will be influenced by it. And how Republicans and Democrats vote may not be uh, long party lines because they're considering their reelection chances. It's a third of the Senate and 100% of the House. Um, and if you're a New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, California congressman or woman, and you, um, there's a bill out there that could potentially restore some deductibility of state and local taxes, um, you may find yourself politically having to vote for it, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think it's complicated. And, and I don't think the reason I could have said, listen, if you put me in, in 140 characters or two <laughs> tweet world, um, mm -hmm. I don't think that you're going to see tax reform getting done as the first agenda item in, in January of uh, 2021. I don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, was in the Biden tax plan was to the 1031 exchange um, to maybe limit it to, to people that uh, earn less than 400,000 or maybe eliminate it. And, uh, you know, deferring taxes on 1031 exchange, that's been around for now 100 years. And it's really a stimulus for the economy. And, and could have a huge impact on commercial real estate. Uh, what do you think happens there? Let's remember, you said it's been around for 100 years. It wasn't created by some real estate developer who lobbied uh, some you know, member of Congress uh, you know, 100 years ago. It was created to, for the, the people who owned land at the time who were largely in agricultural industry. And... I think the farming lobby, and they're, they're considerable, right, in terms of their, their political power in Washington, the farming lobby is going to scream. Um, and that's a way for the people in the agricultural industry to not have to, you know, lose their life's fortunes because um, they were selling a farm, right? It allowed them to trade land amongst themselves as one piece of land was more fertile than the next, or they, they wanted to expand a certain line of crops, all the different things that uh, I'm a kid from New York, like I sound like I know what the hell I'm talking about when a farm, but, but that's what it was. And, and I remember working on a deal once upon a time where um, it was an almond farm in Bakersfield got traded for a, um, a farm in Napa or Sonoma that grew grapes. And the two families that own the respective farms, they both happen to also be in the real estate business, but the two families uh, had different needs. The almond farm was producing a, a lot of cash a certain way, and the grapes were going to be down the road because they were planting grapes. And they, while they would harvest the grapes, they, they weren't going to be able to sell the wine for X number of years. And they had different, uh, they had different goals, and the 1031 was a perfect solution for them. So I think that it's not you, you, us real estate people think everything that's in the tax law that is used in our business was created for us. And I'm just reminding the audience that it was actually created, you know, I think in the 30s or the 20s 
um, for the agricultural industry, not for you know urban real estate landlords. Right. And uh, so the people for whom it was created are going to have a say in its repeal. Yeah. But when you look at neighborhoods, when you look at commercial real estate and you see the owners that have owned their property for a long time and not sold it, a lot of times you see property that's not taken care of. And, and then you see that if they can do a 1031 exchange, um, they tend to, to be more willing to, to trade and sell a property. And then people are renovating and improving it. And so it creates jobs and income and a lot of tax revenue, uh, income tax revenue and, and sales tax and everything else. So, um, but is that something that an Biden administration who is really looking for revenue, are they going to see that or are they just going to look at that initial tax deferment number and go, oh, let's go ahead and get that? At, at some point, there's going to be a cry on both sides of the aisle to uh, reverse the course of our growing budget deficit. And there are going to be Republicans who think the answer to that is to stop spending. And there are going to be Democrats who look at that and say, we need to raise taxes. And um, I've seen some of the economic papers that have been written by some of the folks who were advising were advising the Biden administration and advising some of the other candidates that were running. And I'm looking at those papers and I said, I don't know where raising taxes creates economic growth. Like I have, it, it only creates economic growth if the government um, is the job creating engine, right? If we give more proceeds to the government, they're going to create more jobs. There's no way the government's going to create more jobs than the private sector. It just, you know, um, but uh, I think that that's the very essence of the debate. And I think you're going to see it raging in the months to come as budget hawks um, that may not be in the majority anymore, but budget hawks are screaming. And, and there are a lot of Democrats who are say this all the time, they're socially liberal and fiscally conservative, right? I, how many times have you heard that expression? Well, those who are fiscally conservative would then agree with the notion that we have to stop spending. Um, and um, so there's got to be a right balance there. I don't know who, who takes it first. I don't know if it's raising the corporate tax rate. I don't know if it's in, in putting in an alternative minimum tax for corporations. There's a lot of political... Um, pressure on these big you know multinational technology companies who lawfully pay very little very little income taxes because they're taking advantage of you know all the tax law advantages that are there and um, get those folks to uh, pay some minimum level of tax I think that that's probably low-hanging fruit um, the problem is if you raise the corporate income tax rate um, there's a there's an impact to that. Um, they're going to create less jobs, right? They're paying more taxes. They have, you know, what are the two biggest line items in the P&L of any company? Um, people costs, we're in a service economy, people costs and space costs, mm -hmm. right? You raise taxes, that means they're going to hire less people and pay less rent. Um, so that's not good, <laughs> for people listening. <laughs> so um, 
I, I think it's going to be a challenge. And it's very possible that the high wage earners um, are the ones who feel it first, because that may be politically the easiest thing to get done. The question is, that happen in a standalone piece of legislation um, or not? Um, but I think the if whatever revenue is projected by the Congressional Budget Office and the Joint Committee for Taxation, whatever revenue on a static or dynamic basis that they project um, get created, my guess is it'll be spent in some spending bill. Right? It's not. It's we're not going to pass a piece of standalone tax legislation to pay down the deficit. I I, I don't see that happening. Yeah. Well, there's some great studies um, about the uh, tax revenues and benefits of the 1031 exchange. Um, and we'll put links to that in the show notes at CREshow.com. Uh, but, uh, hey, look, you might want to uh, reach your politicians and let them know if you, uh, you share my view of the benefits of the 1031 exchange. I think uh, uh, even if you just uh, eliminate it for people making over 400000 I think the impact on the economy and neighborhoods and real estate and, and housing, uh, everything will be, uh, be awful. Anyway, Mitch, what would you leave our audience with to think about uh, regarding real estate and the Biden administration? Is everything going to be okay, Mitch? <laughs> I, I don't. I'm not doing the Snoopy dance right now. Yeah, I was going to say, Michael. I always try to get you to do the Snoopy dance. I, I I'm of this belief that as soon as we can, and it's something I said earlier, and I think in the previous segment, but as soon as we can open up in a meaningful way the supply side of the economy, we're going to see tremendous economic growth because of all of this money that's sitting on the sidelines by consumers that they can't consume. We can only buy so much stuff on Amazon, okay? Um, that's not sufficient consumption. Going to restaurants, going to movies, going on vacation, um, taking your kids here or there, um, not buying stuff, but buying services, we're a service economy, and we, we're basically just buying stuff, much of which, much of which has been imported. So um, I think that that's uh, the real key. And if the supply side of the economy is open, then there's proceeds for the real estate industry yet again. And that's what I'm hopeful of. And uh, I, I, I see a scenario in which the Biden administration is doing a lot of victory laps around great economic numbers quarter after quarter in 2021. And uh, we can debate who deserves credit for that, but I know how politics work. But uh, I don't care who gets credit. I want to see the economy prosper. Um, you know, we're early in January, and uh, I prefer, and I'll leave you and your audience with this, I prefer when we say, you know, we greet each other in the new year, as opposed to saying Happy New Year, uh, to say Prosperous New Year. <laughs> and I'm, I'm hopeful that um, politics aside, uh, if we can just open things up, 2021 will be a prosperous uh, new year. All right. Well, great. Well, I'm not doing the Snoopy dance yet, but I feel a little better, Mitch. Thank you for joining us, sir. Appreciate it. Mike, good to see you. All right. Well, thank you for joining us around the country. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, and please connect with us on your favorite social media. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show.
If you appreciate the show, think about the opportunity to do business or refer business to our sponsors. Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies. For incredible commercial agent training, visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Vista Property Reports. Use smartphone location technology for commercial real estate due diligence. Visit vistapropertyreport.com slash CRE show. Core.green. Use ION technology to create a safer environment for your real estate. Visit core.green. For more commercial real estate intel, forecasts, and strategies, visit CREshow.com.